week, so I'm filling in. I'm going to do your announcements this week. Um, so first off, um, we got some small groups going on. So I want everybody to put one arm in the air. Like, I know there's not many of you. Okay, now if you attend a small group regularly, put your hand down. Okay, so those of you with your hands up, listen. Um, David Dowdy is starting a small group at his house at the end of this month. Um, you guys can put your hands down now, I'm sorry. Um, Dave's starting a small group at the end of this month at his new house. Um, I'll let him tell you where that's at because I have no idea. Um, that's going to be on Wednesdays. Um, and then also Ryan Rolfe has a small group. Is that at your house? At his house on Wednesdays at 6. Um, Kelly Craft, as far as I know, still has his men's small group on Thursday evenings. I'm not sure the exact time, um, but you guys can talk to him about that. And Chris Jones is starting a small group at the uh, Campbell Avenue Revolution House on Friday evenings. Um, not this Friday, but next Friday. Um, so um, that's all we have by way of like, small groups. So if you guys want to get plugged into a small group, get a hold of one of those four guys. Uh, or get a hold of me, uh, Dave, Ryan, Kelly, Chris. Um, so um, this is kind of fun because Dave kind of rehearses his sermons a lot, so I hear all of his jokes ahead of time, so I could really just wreck his sermon by telling all of his jokes right now. He's like pacing in the back. This is great. Um, but okay, those are all the announcements we really have, so we're going to put it on a little bit of music. Um, if you guys want to get up, you know, grab somebody you've never met and just kind of introduce yourself, um, go ahead. So what's up, Revolution? I'll take it. I didn't, there are way more people here than there were here last summer, so thank God. It doesn't feel like I'm preaching to like a, I don't know, like a funeral or something like that. I guess a funeral should have like more people than like 40, at least I hope like whenever I die, more than like 40 people will show up to my funeral, but probably not. We'll have to pay my pallbearers. Um, (laughs) So if that video like wasn't serious enough for you, um, to like drag the mood down pretty hard, that was John MacArthur. He's an old man, Um, way better preacher than me. Super good. You should look him up. Um, So... This past weekend, something happened. The college students graduated, right? A lot of them did, at least. Raise your hand if you graduated Sunday. We got two, three. Is there another one? We got at least two. So that's legit. Aubrey and Autumn. That was cool. Both have the A names. That's awesome. Just now realized that. Right? So that means that for Revolution, if you look around, you see that there's some empty seats. That's because the college students are gone. Right? Which sucks, but there's also like a lot of pros that come with this. Like I look out into the crowd and I see a significantly like less amount of flat bills and leggings in the audience. So like that's pretty cool. Um, and in Scioto County in general, like the awful taste in music has gone down and ACDC reigns supreme yet again. Um, woo! Right? We are the white trash faithful. We know what's up. <laughs> right? And also all the dirty hippie kids have went home for the summer and I thank God for that. Um, but we have the bills, bills here with us tonight. Um, so that's nice. I love those guys so, so much. Where are you? They're in the back. Yeah, they're in the, we are right there. They're good people. They don't bathe that often, but they're good. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so it's just like the true white trash Soda County residents here, and I count myself among that with a stripe of honor. So I'm super pumped. Um, so if, again, if you look around, this is the core group of revolution. Right, these are the people that, this isn't just something that they do whenever they're in school. Um, this is like the, a group of people that considers this their home church. Um, that these are the people that they want to walk with and grow with and serve with. Um, this is the backbone of our church, essentially. 
Um, and I've noticed this, that generally speaking, not always, um, there's somewhat of a disconnect between the people who call this place home and um, the people who just come here during the college season, um, maybe where they're at in life and kind of what they need to hear. Um, so we've decided to take a break from the book of Luke for the summer and dive into something else for about 16 weeks before we hit the book of Luke again in the fall whenever the college students come back. Um, And what we've decided to do was take a peek into a New Testament book called Philippians for the next 16 weeks. And if you've never really read it, I recommend it. It's a super short book. It's only four chapters long, um, which is why it's going to be some kind of a magic trick for me to preach for 16 weeks on it. But I hope you'll bear with me. Um, But it's a super, super solid book. Um, It's packed with tons of calls to unity, um, tons of calls to service, and joy in knowing Jesus. Uh, And I think that's what we need to hear as a church right now, especially with unity and joy and, again, service. Um, So let's strap in and do it, right? Like, let's get down to it. But before we hop into the text itself, um, I want to give some background on the book and the author. In the words of Dustin Cooley, I'm going to try to paint with my words here for a few minutes. Um, it's probably not going to go very well, right? But I'm going to give you guys some background um, so that we can take a look at this whole thing a little bit better and kind of understand why we're reading and, and what we're getting into. So first thing, uh, the book of Philippians, uh, the author, was the Apostle Paul. Um, if you don't know anything about the Apostle Paul, that's cool. Here's a little short thing about him. Um, he hated Christians at first. He was a Jew. Um, his name was Saul first. You can read about him in the book of Acts. Chapter 9 is where the story gets pretty interesting. Um, he was a Christ hater. He was commissioned by high up uh, authoritative Jews to actually go out and kill Christians. Um, hated them. Uh, arrested them. Threw them in jail. Had them killed. Um, and then Jesus... As he's traveling, it's the funniest part in the Bible for me. It's one of the funniest. He's riding a horse, going down a road, and all of a sudden, Jesus, like, just smacks him off the horse, right? Just appears to him, knocks him off the horse, and is like, yeah, you're a Christian now, Paul. Um, So I always like that a lot, uh, because God is sovereign. But, um, so Paul does that. He converts to Christianity, and then he um, becomes a preacher. So he's like a God, or a a Christ-hater turned preacher, and then he decides to devote his life to sharing the good news about Jesus, that Jesus has died in our place for our sin and rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is coming back someday. And he devotes his whole life to telling people that. And he becomes a missionary, all right? And on his second missionary journey, Paul goes to a city called Philippi, right? So this is pretty cool. Um, now, about Philippi, the city itself, this is a big city, right? This is a big, big deal. I think like New York or like Chicago or LA, whenever I think about Philippi, um, tons of commerce, right? It was like a commercial hub, um, lots of businesses going down. Um, fun fact, um, whenever it was founded, there were, yeah, like right whenever it was founded, there was a lot of like gold and silver mines. So like it drew the attention of people there. And uh, another fun fact, Alexander the Great's father was the founder, Philip of Macedon. So that's why it's called Philippi. It's named after Alexander the Great's dad. I thought that was cool because I'm a nerd. Most of you guys here don't care. Um, that's fine. Um, All right, uh, another cool thing about Philippi that you should know, the reason why it was such a big deal, the reason why people wanted this city and it became such a commercial hub was because um, there was like like geographically, hills divide Europe from Asia. And there's just like this small pass where the hills kind of dip down and that's where Philippi is. So whoever controls the pass, whoever controls Philippi, controls the trade route from Europe to Asia. So that's why it was such a big deal. That's why there's so much like commerce going on there. Um, And also... 
because Rome controlled Philippi, and Philippi was such a good place for Rome, um, they actually had the status of a Roman colony. They weren't just owned by Rome, but the people who lived there actually were Roman citizens. Um, they had all the same rights as people born in Rome. They, they practiced the same religion, spoke the same language, same customs, clothes. And keep this in mind, because this is going to be like a recurring theme throughout the book. Um, they were very proud of their Roman citizenship. Right? Kind of like we're proud from being from America. And yeah, America and Appalachia and all that. Although, is that how you pronounce it? Appalachia? Appalachia? Appalachia. I'm going to throw an Appalachia in the words of Chris Buell. Um, but they were super, super proud of being uh, Romans. All right, and uh, a little bit more information about Paul's trip, his, his missionary journey to Philippi, the first one. Acts chapter 16 tells us about Paul's trip to the city. And in there, he, he does some pretty good stuff, right? First thing he does is he meets this rich Gentile woman who's interested in Judaism, and he tells her the gospel, and she converts, which was a huge plus because she was, like, freaking loaded, right? This woman's name was Lydia. She ends up, con- like, contributing to Paul a lot. Um, Paul then uh, meets this demon-possessed girl that's given him some problems, and he casts a demon out of her, and I would assume that she converted. And then Paul ends up going to jail, because this is a, a recurring theme of Paul's life. And, um, and while Paul's in jail, he converts the jailer there, the Philippian jailer, Paul and Silas. I don't know about you guys, whenever I read the story about Paul and Silas, like, I imagine one of them playing like a mouth harp. <laughs> Like, you know, like singing the blues for some reason, although the blues weren't like invented till the 1900s, but for some reason, I think like first century Jewish Christians are in there singing like B.B. King. Um, (laughs) Right. But not only does the jailer convert, but his whole family converts. Um, And something tells me that Paul converted a lot more people to Christianity while he was in Philippi, because arguably the coolest thing that I learned was Philippi um, was where Paul started his first church. Right. So. And like Paul really loves, like you can see in his letter, if you know what you're looking for, you can see in all of his letters to um, regions surrounding Philippi and Macedonia, um, he really loves the people there, right? And they love him back, right? They're like his first kids, right? Which reminds me, it's Mother's Day. See how I segued into that for you guys? That was in the notes. It was right there in the notes. Dustin wasn't lying. I rehearsed these things. Happy Mother's Day, mothers. How many moms we got in here? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I love you guys. Happy Mother's Day. Right? And just like Paul loves his first kids, we're going to segue back into it, right? Uh, Parents love their first kids more than any other kids, right? Except for mine. My mom loves her baby. I'm sorry, Amber. Uh, Had to do it. All right? But what is Philippians? All right? So you've got some history behind it. What is Philippians? It's not a book. Right? I've been referring to it as a book, so I could tell you this now and kind of build up the tension. Um, it's not a book. It's not a history. It's not poetry. It's a letter. Right? So it's a letter from Paul to these people. Um, and Paul, while he's writing this, he has been arrested for preaching the gospel and is currently in jail at Rome while he's writing this, which is more like a house arrest, not so much like a prison. Um, because he's a Roman citizen, he has rights where until he goes to trial, they can't throw him in prison yet. Um, and, and the Philippians find out that Paul's in jail, and they send him this dude named Epaphroditus, which I'm thinking me and Autumn should name our first son. Um, and, he, and they send Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift to minister to Paul. Um, and the two inevitably talk about Philippi and what's going on there. And Paul wants to send a letter back to them saying thank you, um, encouraging them to stick strong in the faith um, and instructing them on how to live as Christians in light of the gospel. Um, so this letter that we're going to be looking at for, the next, uh, for this whole summer is essentially a missionary letter with some calls to living faithfully to Jesus. Um, and the big themes, again, are service, unity. He talks about false teachers for a minute and joy a lot. 
Um, there's not a ton of theology in this book. I'm not saying that it's, that it's absent, because that would be foolish, because it's Paul. Um, but this isn't like the book of, like the letter to the Romans, right? Where it's like 16 chapters of just like theological, like just power. It's not like that. It's, it's more practical uh, than that. And I think that that's what we need at Rev right now for the summer. Um, we need calls to unity. We need calls to service, especially service. And I think that free market was, uh, made that really evident for us. Um, with how few people showed up and how few people cared enough to help with stuff. Um, those of you who showed up, I appreciate it, but me and Ryan talked about it, and, and it was just kind of a letdown. Um, so this is what we need, is calls to serve and calls to live uh, in accordance with the theology that we have. Because if, you, if your theology doesn't change how you live, then it's garbage theology. All right, so this is what we need right now. So we're going to see this letter call us uh, continuously to work and to evangelism and to unity. Um, and it's going to remind us constantly to be of the mind of Christ, right? Which is humility, uh, being servant-minded. So Paul's going to tell us to be like Jesus. So tonight we're going to just look at the first two verses of this letter, right? We're going to be looking at the greeting of the letter. All right, and I know what you're thinking. We're going to look at the greeting of a letter. Like I told my sister, she's like, what are you preaching on? I was like, oh, you know, just Paul's telling him hi. She's like, are you hi, David? She's like... <laughs> Do you think you can preach to, on those two verses alone? Right? And, and I feel you. I was right there with her. I'm not like making fun of my sister. I, I used to think the same kind of stuff. Um, but I've noticed this, that usually we skim over the greetings to New Testament letters. And in doing so, we miss an absolute explosion of theology and the mentality of Paul in regard to Jesus and himself. We miss that so much whenever we skip the greetings or just skim over them. Right? And, and, and Dave Dunham, a good friend of mine, um, used to pastor here. Dave once said to me, he said, if we truly believe that every word of Scripture is God-breathed and God-inspired and good for teaching and preaching and rebuke and correction and instruction, then why would we skim over any of it? That lit me up pretty hard, right? So this is, this is going to be fun. Um, but we're going to see this. In two verses, we're going to see Paul tells us how we should view our lives, how we should view our situations, how we should view our goals, and gives the essence of the gospel, Right? Every time Paul puts his pen to paper, Christ is shown to be more beautiful and more glorious than anything in the world. And we're going to be admonished to live in light of that. All right? So, like, for me, like, studying this, I'm thinking, like, even whenever Paul's, like, saying, hi, like, he's preaching. <laughs> which is, like, a whole other level of preacher that I need to get on before I die. Um, I'm just super jealous of this dude, and that's why he is a straight-up gangster. So, let's check this out. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Without any further ado, let's do it, man. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All right, so here's what I want us to do this evening. Um, I want us to take a peek into the mindset of Paul. Right? And see how he views himself in relationship and relation to Jesus. And then likewise, how he views the people who have faith in Jesus and belong to Jesus and what our lives should look like. All right, that's what I want us to do. I want us to get into his mindset because Paul's arguably the God, one of the godliest men that ever lived, ever. I think if we can get inside his head and, and our minds can be changed, that would be really, really solid for us. We'd become better Christians and learn how to serve Jesus better. Um, but the first thing that Paul says, right, first thing that Paul says is that he is a slave to Jesus, right? And I was talking to some of the guys earlier, not the Britney Spears kind of slave. You remember that song? I'm a slave for you. Yeah, you remember that? 
Yeah, even better. Do you remember Britney Spears before she lost her mind and shaved her head? I was younger. Those were better times. Those were simpler times. Uh, I think that that robbed me of my innocence whenever I saw her with her shaved head. Uh, but I digress. Um, all right, so he calls himself a slave, right? And at first glance, we don't like that. I don't know about you guys. I don't like the fact that Paul's calling himself a slave, right? Slavery is not something that we, we don't even like that word um, as, as Americans, right? We like to do me. Right? Like if I was a little bit more thug, that'd maybe sound a little bit better. Like, I like to do me, you do you. Uh, you know, like we're Americans. We, we want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And we prize freedom. Even though we're not as free as we like to think we are, we prize freedom. Um, and the Philippians wouldn't have liked this idea either. They really wouldn't. Remember, they were Romans. They prided themselves on their citizenship. They had rights. Um, they, they, they were Romans. Um, just like we would say, we're Americans. We are not slaves. And yet we see Paul having no problem calling himself a slave to Jesus. And he was a Roman citizen too. All right, so there's, there's something going on here. And I, I think Paul is, is pushing us to recognize a couple of realities about ourselves um, and our condition as human beings. All right, now, this word slave, all right, it has some implications that I think that we need to consider. Um, and John MacArthur in that video hit a couple of them. Uh, the first one, a slave has been bought, all right? And two, a slave has no rights and no will, but the master's will. All right, whoever the slave's master is, that's their will. They don't have a will of their own anymore, and we'll return to those here in a little while. But, but again, we do not like this concept of being told what to do and, and not being free, um, you know, like, look at, like, those god-awful protest songs from the 60s. Like, I don't like Bob Dylan. I don't know about you guys. Um, look at Fox News, right? Always talking about how we're being stripped of our freedoms. Bill O'Reilly, God help the United States of America. Um, we look at bands like Rage Against the Machine, which I don't know how many of you guys listen to them. Those dudes rule, like Township Rebellion and Fistful of Steel, songs like that. All about, like, you know, take the power back. We need to be more free than what we are. We love freedom. It's all over our culture. It's in movies. It's in books. It's all about us being able to do what we want when we want. So immediately, we become repulsed at the idea of somebody having complete control over us, and we fight it. But this was, like, huge for me. Have you ever considered that you are a slave already? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, you're a slave already, period, and we're about to pop through a whole bunch of scripture, so just keep your eyes up here on the thing. We're going to go to a lot of different places, right? You're a slave already. Bear that in mind. Romans 6, 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, which is hell, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So he's saying we are a slave to whatever we obey, either sin or Jesus. Those are our options. And you combine that with Jesus saying this in John. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. And then you combine that with Paul again. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. So we see that we're all already slaves to sin. Apart from Jesus, you're a slave to either sin or Jesus. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And everyone has sinned. We're already screwed. We're a slave to something already, right? And here's what really gets desperate about it, and I say this every time I preach, and I will continue to do so until the day that I stop breathing. Sin deserves hell because that is justice, and it has to be paid. 
God is a just God. If we rebel against him and decide to do us instead of doing what he has said, and everyone has done it from birth, we have all had a rebel's heart, and we've done this gladly against him. Justice demands that we pay for what we've done. No amount of us trying to do good is going to cover up what we've done, period. We cannot make up for this transgression. We cannot make up for this law-breaking and and living unholy lives and offending God. We can't make up for that ourselves, so that's our penalty. And furthermore, we're slaves to sin. We can't get out from under our master. If sin is our master, we can't get out from under it. Because what sin's will for us? To continue in sin and continue in rebellion. So we're screwed. What are we going to do? But our hope, even though we've all sinned and we're under this bondage to the master sin, we see this in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom. This is those of us who believe the gospel, who trust in Jesus. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. That's your sinful nature. And it was not paid with mere silver or gold, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So Jesus, with his life, death, and resurrection, him dying in our place for our sin and being raised from the dead, he has bought us back from our slavery. By his blood and his sacrifice, we're no longer slaves to sin. Like it says in Romans 6.17, Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Right? And obeying this teaching is believing the gospel and submitting to the authority of Jesus over your life because you believe that he's done this for you. Right? So we've been set free from sin if we are in Christ. But then Paul says this, right? Here's where it gets a little bit weird. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. All right? So we're slaves again. Right, this is strange to me, like, like, but this time it's, it's to obeying Jesus. It's like we can't win, right? Like we will be a slave to something. So here's the question that, that like my inner cynic asked for like years, and only within like the last year or so has it, has it come to make sense to me. Um, what, what my inner jerk says is, have we just traded one slavery for another? Because this does not sound very free. That's the question that I used to ask myself because it didn't make any sense to me. If if the Bible says that I'm free in Christ, um, but it also says that I'm a slave to Christ, this does not sound free whatsoever. This actually sounds like I've traded one bondage for another. But but here's the thing, and this is where I really need you guys to pay attention. Until we actually view our sin as slavery, we will never view our new slavery to Christ as freedom. Ever. Ever. I'm going to say that again. Until we actually view our sin as slavery, we will never view our new slavery to Christ as freedom. Until we understand the bondage that we were once in, and slavery to Christ is freedom. Jesus says, so if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. All right? Now follow me on this. I want you guys to understand the, the position that we were once in apart from Christ. Until our faith in Jesus, you and I could not please God at all. We were in bondage, right? And that bondage was trying to save ourselves by being good and obeying God, right? Trying to obey his laws, trying to be a good person, trying to save ourselves that way. Like we were gonna rack up a bunch of points and God was gonna weigh our good versus our bad. That's what we were a slave to. 
And we think that that might work sometimes because we only view our sin as a little bit bad, but it's infinitely bad and nothing can take it away. And combine that with this, God's standard is impossible to obey perfectly for sinners like us, and God demands absolute perfection. We cannot hit this. This is our slavery. Nothing we could do apart from Christ would ever be good enough. Our failed attempts to be obedient do not matter to God apart from Christ. You do not receive an A for effort from God apart from Jesus. You don't. God demands a perfection that we cannot accomplish by ourselves. I think, the rock of, I think the author of Rock of Ages hit it on the head. And I'm not talking about the Def Leppard song. I'm talking about the hymn. One person in this room got that joke. Um, it was probably Rolf because he's old. Um, yeah, I got to do it. Right? But the, the, the author of the hymn, Rock of Ages, said this. He says, could my zeal, no respite, no. Which means, could my zeal, could my attempts to be obedient to God's laws, no, no rest. He said, could my tears forever flow. Could I be eternally sorry for the things that I've done and, 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 and tell God that I'm sorry while I'm trying to obey him full in, uh, day in, day out? Could my zeal and a respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. He's talking about Jesus. Nothing could set us free from our own slavery. Only the righteous, uh, righteousness and sacrifice of Christ given to us freely could save us. We'll take it a step further. Romans 8, 7 says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. This nature that we have from birth apart from Christ, it never did obey God's laws and it never will. So we could not please God or obey him even if we tried. Because apart from faith in Christ, our obedience is not done to glorify God. It's done to save our own skin. And and Paul says, whatever is not done to the glory of God from faith is sin. That is slavery. That even if you wanted to please God, you cannot apart from Jesus. That is slavery. That, that the penalty of damnation and hell hangs over you apart from Christ. That is slavery and you cannot get out from under it. That's true bondage. That's a cruel, oppressive master. But then there's this if we trust in Jesus for salvation. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. So we may be slaves, but we are free. We're slaves to Jesus, but we are free to obey. We are free now to do what once was impossible for us to do. And that is to be obedient to Jesus and actually please God. That is freedom. Until we understand the bondage of our former lives, we will never appreciate the freedom to obey and serve Jesus. We have to get an understanding of that. And if we believe the gospel, then that means we are indeed slaves to Christ. And if we are slaves, that means, one, we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. And two, we have no rights and we have no will except for the will of Jesus, our master. All right, which takes us to the next thing that Paul says. All right, Paul says that he is writing to, quote, all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and the deacons, which Rolf brought up to me and I thought was pretty funny. Like, I'm really glad that Paul includes the elders and the deacons in God's holy people. Like, eh, I want to throw them in the mix there. They're not as bad as we once thought they were, I guess. Like, why not include them too? <laughs> right? 
Um, I thought that was funny. Whatever, you guys can kiss my grits. Um, but <laughs> Paul is writing to those who belong to Jesus. Right? He's writing to fellow slaves, right? people who believe the gospel and should be considering themselves slaves just like Paul does. Right? So this tells me that Paul is subtly saying that this slave mentality is what we should all be aiming for. Right, where we recognize that our will should be conformed to Christ's will, where everything about us revolves around the master and his will and his examples and his commands and his authority and lordship over us. Right? But Paul doesn't just imply that these people are slaves to Jesus. Right? He says something else, too, which I really thought was cool. It's the second thing, and this will be the last thing that we really hammer on. He calls them God's holy people. All right? Now, the word holy, right? This is kind of cool. Um, holy is an Old Testament word. Right? It means set apart. Um, and often in the Old Testament, it was used in reference to priests, um, objects and instruments in the temple, and the nation of Israel as a whole. Like That's what the word holy is generally used for in the Old Testament, all over Leviticus and Exodus and a lot of different spots like that. Um, and, and not only does it mean set apart, but it carries this connotation of being set apart for service. Like God's holy nation Israel was going to be set apart from the rest of the world so that they would serve one another and the nations would come through Israel and they would see people living differently and it would point them to the one true God. The instruments and objects in the temple were set apart for specific jobs and uses within the temple. Um, Priests were set apart from the rest of the nation because their job was going to be service in the temple. Um, Again, set apart for service. That's That's the connotation that comes with this word holy. So Paul is saying that those, who, those of us who belong to Jesus should be people who live to serve Jesus the master in his interests. Um, and that we should realize that slaves have a job to do. Right? Um, and I really want this to be um, like a foundational concept for those of us at Rev. Um, you know, I, I, I want us to, because often, and maybe this is just me and kind of my like, inner like, circle of friends that I hang out with a lot. Um, I, I want us to realize that, that Jesus didn't save us merely to keep us from the wrath of God. That's not, that's not it. That's part of it. And he didn't just ser- uh, save us so that we could learn more about God. Um, we have actually been saved to serve so that we would become more like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus didn't just save us so that we wouldn't go to hell. Jesus saved us so that we would become like him. That's why the Father chose us and chose to save us. We were saved so that we would become God's holy people, not just people who aren't going to hell. That's why God saved us, right? So that we would become holy, but but how? Right, what is that abstract concept of being holy? What does that look like? Right, and I'm, getting, I'm starting to get real simple the more I study the Bible because I'm, I'm realizing that most of the Bible comes back to one word. Holiness looks like love. Living this set-apart life straight up looks like love. The will of our master, the will of Jesus, the one who bought us, is for us to walk in the commands of God the Father. And Jesus sums it all up with love God and love other people. That's what holiness looks like. Right, think about it. If we would do these things, we would be completely set apart from the world around us and how it operates. We really would. We would be completely set apart in how we live if we would actually love God and love other people. 
right? Think about it. If, if we love God, right, we live differently when we are actively loving God, right? Our lives, our personal lives, our personal holiness begins to change. We begin to hate sin, right? We begin to hate what God hates purely because he hates it, right? And we want rid of it because he wants rid of it in us, Right? His will becomes our will. It's not that we hate it because it has consequences on us anymore because it's already been paid for by Christ, but we hate it purely because God hates it and we're trying to be of his mind and in his will and, and, and mimic his will in our lives. Right? That's a personal thing. Um, you know, we, we begin to seek out the will of God for us in scripture and in prayer, prayer on a daily basis so that we can submit to him better as we understand him more and more. And, and check this, this flows into the next one. When we submit to God's will and his commands because we love him, we will by default love our neighbors, right? Love goes this way. It's vertical first to God. And if you love God with this vertical love, it automatically shoots out horizontally at everyone around you because God's commands are for us if we love him to love other people, right? And, if, and again, if we would love each other, Right, then we'd live differently. And first, I'm, I'm talking about within this group of people, if we would love each other, we would do some things differently. We would heed the Bible's commands to hold one another accountable, here and now, with the things that we struggle with. We would be loving people enough to say, man, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? What are you struggling with? What can I do to serve you more? Right? We would be involved with each other's joy and each other's sorrows. Right? We would take care of one another. We would be an actual family that loves one another. That's the true church. That's what Jesus had in mind for us. Right? And then because of this family bond, because we love one another, then we would begin to seek to add to this family. Right? And we would consciously seek people out that we don't know so that we could befriend them and tell them about the love of God found in Christ and then walk with them as family too. Right? Thirdly, we, 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 would, we would begin to get involved in messy spots in our community right? and show those people the love and grace that God has shown us. Right? If, hear me on this and, and pay attention. This is a big one uh, tonight. If we actually would live as if we are slaves to the will of Jesus, we would by default live as God's holy people. If we actually had the mentality of a slave, that we are about the son's will. We would actually live differently. We would actually love people. And listen to me on this. The world would stand and take notice of that. I promise you that much. The world would stand and take notice of love. That was God's plan for his, for his holy people of Israel in the Old Testament. Right? And, and I don't know if you guys know this or not. Uh, the Bible tells us that because Christ has grafted us in through, through our faith in him, we are Israel now. We are God's new Israel in Christ. So this is his plan for us too to be his holy people that lives differently than the rest of the world, to draw them in, right? And, and, and in a world full of selfish ambition and envy and greed and gossip and hate, right? We would be a shining beacon of the grace of God and the gospel. That's what we would be if we would actually live that way. And that's what the world actually needs, right? The world doesn't need a better president or more welfare or merely social justice, Right? The world needs love. And here's the question that I want to bother you for the, for the week or for the rest of your lives, hopefully. If the slaves of Christ won't live and show love, where will the world find it? 
where will they find it? They won't. They will not find it anywhere because there's no love outside of Christ. If we will not serve others and share the gospel because of love, the world will be hopeless and damned. And that was not God's plan for us whenever he saved us. Right? God's plan was not for us to sit idly by in apathy and watch the world burn while we wait to die and go to heaven. That is not the plan for us. Jesus bought us to make us God's holy people so that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. It wasn't God's plan for us to be lazy and sit by as if, you know, God's sovereign, it'll be all right. I'm not denying the sovereignty of God, but let's stop using that crap as a crutch. Let's actually go out and actually evangelize to people. Um, tell people the good news. Actually serve people. Right? Faith without works is dead. And, and Charles Spurgeon once said this, and this isn't the Bible, but this is a super godly man. He says, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. That hit me right between the eyes, and I hope it does the same for you. All right? But, but where does this motivation right? To love and be slaves and be holy. Where does this motivation come from? The last thing Paul says in this greeting, it comes from the grace and the peace given to us freely that we did not earn, but was just a free gift by God, the father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, the grace of the good news, the plan that the father set forth that while we were in rebellion, we were loved while we were slaves to our own wills, he sought to set us free. That Jesus would set us free with his life, death, and resurrection and set us in right relationship to the Father. That we could not do it ourselves, but that he would do it for us because he loves us and wanted to give that to us whenever we could not get it ourselves. That kind of grace. And then the peace that flows from knowing that the Father has deemed us righteous in his eyes by the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. That we have, been, that we have peace between the Father. Again, a vertical peace that wants us to have peace with everyone else. Wants us to serve and make sure those around us are, are well. Right? That is our mantra. Right? This is our essence. This is our war cry to live lives set apart to the glory of God. And that war cry is grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we yell. That's what motivates us in the morning to go out and live holy lives because we've been bought. Right? This is our calling. Right? This is our job. Remember, slaves have been bought to work. Don't forget that. Right, so I challenge you, right, go and live like a slave of Jesus, right, walking in love and walking in grace with service and humility at the core of what you are. Being of the mind of Christ, we're going to see that in chapter 2 in this book, that Christ, you know, being God, submitted himself to the position of a slave. We should be of that mind as well, and we do it in obedience to the God who loved you, who loved me, when we would not have loved ourselves. You, know, you have been saved to serve. We have been set free to obey. And this is a sweet slavery to a loving master. This is not an oppressive bondage. This is sweetness that now we can obey. So take advantage and do what you once could not do apart from Christ. What you were made to do, which is glorify God and enjoy him. 
So from your love for the master, live to be of his mind and in his will in order to make his name great. And if any of you guys here don't know Jesus or you want someone to pray with you or you're not a slave or you've not been living the life of a slave, come talk to one of us. Right? Even if you are a Christian, we want to pray with you. We want to get you in accountability. We want to walk with you like a family. Right? This is the core group. We want to be united in, in one gospel, right? One spirit, one gospel is what our, our slogan is. As citizens of heaven, that we would live this way. Right? So let us pray with you. Anyone that's going to be on this stage, come talk to me after the service. Anyone. We want that for you. Um, but I'll leave you guys with this. This is it. Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for setting us free from sin, from taking us out of a cruel, oppressive slavery and rebellion against you and reconciling us to yourself. God, help us to realize that we were saved by you, for you. Help us to be of the mind of Jesus, that we would serve. And help us to do it from love because you've given us grace and peace that we could not earn, that we did not deserve and do not deserve. Father, I pray that that daily your Holy Spirit shows us what it looks like more and more and more to live like a slave. Christ, you humbled yourself to the form of a servant. Help us to do the same because we are not better than you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.